left my family. I left my kids. I left my nightclubs, my parking company, $35 million to fight the fight. And both families, Gambino and the Bonanno family, Joe Messina, the boss of the Bonanno family, I helped him against the guys who were ratting against him. He turned state evidence and worldwide. His underboss, Sal Vitale, came in and he ratted. The captain, Frankie Copa, he ratted. And alongside them, there was other guys in their family that ratted. Along with my family, the boss, John Gotti Jr., he ratted. Ronnie Warnham, you have the opening statement. He ratted. He said that I would kill him if he wasn't nice to me. After I tried to help him beat the case. Mikey Scars DeLonardo, John Gotti Jr.'s right-hand man. He ratted. Greg De Palma, another one of John Guy's made guys. He ratted. Fat Dom, another one of his made guys. He ratted. Mikey Scars had Joe, little Joey D'Angelo and John Jr. had him rat because they turned on him. He had nowhere to go. Another guy, Mikey Scars' brother, well, they, they buried him. So he had a flip. He had to come in. And I won't use the word rat for these guys because these guys were left in no man's land by all the captains, made guys, giving these guys up one at a time. Vinny, thank you so much for, for coming on to the Johnny and Gene Show. I'm Felix Levine. We've got John Alike to my right and Gene Borello to my far right. Thank you for, uh, for coming on the Johnny and Gene Show today. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for having me. So um, I've heard a, a couple of stories about you, but I feel like it wouldn't do you justice. Will you, you know, for the people that aren't familiar with you, will you give just a, a small background and a bio on yourself and uh, your role, um, you know, in, the, in that former life? Sure. Um... Well, I was a, I was a Bonanno associate under Ronnie G, um, you know, from like 1998 till 2006. Um, you know, basically, I did everything from like, uh, you know, the stock market end of where he was making money to you know loan sharking, gambling, things of that nature, and you know, you know, basically, I was around him just about every day of the week. You know, I was probably one of his closest friends at that time, if you could call it a friend. Uh, you know, I don't call it a friend because, you know, you learn after all the years and the mistakes that, you know, you're not a friend. Uh, but growing up, you know, I grew up in Howard Beach, Lindenwood, you know, there was Linden, there was uh, Lindenwood, there was Rockwood Park. They would call us the Lindenhoods and obviously the Rockwood Park kids. And, you know, John knows we grew up around a lot of the same people because we're about the same age. He's a little, uh, maybe he's a year older than me, but he's better looking. Um, but anyways, you know, growing up in our neighborhood, you know, even at young ages, like I'm talking 15, 16 years old, you're constantly around organized crime, no matter what you do, wherever you turn, your friend's father's involved with it, uh, your other friend's father's involved with it. So there's really like not many paths that you can take, you know, with your life than other than get involved with it at a young age. And, you know, as, as, a, as a kid, as a teenager growing up, you know, I hung around a group of guys in Lindenwood, uh, John and Greg Massa, you know, good friends of mine back then. Uh, another guy by the name of Jimmy Santangelo, uh, Lee Gold, Jules Rosen. You know, these are all the guys that I grew up with. And, uh, 
you know, we were friendly with the, with the, with the Rockwood Park guys, you know, uh, John Jr. and his crew. At times we were. You could call it friendly. <laughs> I wouldn't. But, uh, you know, uh, John Jr., his crew, you know, Frankie Radici, Stephen Kaplan, all of those guys. So, you know, coming up through the years, you know, being around John and Greg Massa, their father was involved with loan sharking. Uh, and also they had a big, uh, you know, bookmaking business where uh, they ran it for their father at the time. And their father was one of the biggest guys on the East Coast at one time. He was um, around a Genovese family, Sonny. So. Sonny Massa, yeah, yeah, he was very big. Um, and, you know, like I said, you know, as we were growing up, you know, you, you were around a lot of more reputable guys in the area, um, you know, like the Andrew Curros, the Joey Cavacantes, the Stephen and Peter Sakaras. You would see these guys hanging out a block away from my house at a cab stand, and, you know, that's what, that's what was around us, you know? So everybody gets caught up in the life at a young age. And did, what, go ahead. Sorry, did you, did you want to get in that life when you were younger? Or was it more like you just were kind of forced into it? I wasn't forced into it. I was stupid, you know? Uh, now that I think back about it, you know, I played Pop Warner football at a young age. I started at nine years old. Um, I was in the Linvets. I played up until I was in my teens. Then I played high school ball. Um, I actually, you know, I was getting recruited by a lot of colleges at the time, but my mindset was elsewhere. It was the street. Okay. Uh, my, my senior year in high school, I actually made an article in sports illustrated and in the back it's called faces in the crowd. Uh, because one of the games that I had, um, I ended up, uh, it was against Franklin K lane. Uh, I threw five touchdown passes in that game. So they, they, they showcased me in that article. You know, and so I had some decent offers to some uh, reputable colleges, Lafayette in Pennsylvania, uh, also Lehigh, um, Holy Cross, and uh, a few others. What did I do? I basically let my life go to shit after that. And I got involved with, you know, hanging out, being a street kid, you know, at a young age. Um, and I really blew it. I blew it on that because I was pretty good in, in football. I actually played three years of semi-pro football with the Brooklyn Mariners. Uh, I, I actually stopped playing when I was 23 years old, you know, uh, because I loved, I loved the sport. You know, I just loved fucking hitting people. Excuse my language. Uh, that's the way I played. I mean, I played reckless and, uh, you know, I wasn't the biggest guy on the field. I was 185 pounds playing against guys that were probably, you know, 230, 240, 250, you know, so I took my fair share of licks on the field, but I held my own very well. So when you, um, you know, I mean, you're about the same age as John. What was, uh, as someone who was back in that time, what was John's reputation like on the street for people who weren't around during that time? John was feared, even back then as a, teen as a teenager. Uh, you know, a lot of the stories you hear, um, you know, about Junior and his crew, Junior Gotti and his crew, you know, uh, John was responsible for most of it, <laughs> you know. I know firsthand because I was there on a lot of occasions, um, you know, because, well, we used to hang out at all the same bars, whether it be the White Horse on Jamaica Avenue, the clubs out in Long Island, Metro 700, 231, you name it. You know, uh, we always used to end up meeting in the same spot, even though, you know, we were like two different, you know, sections, Lindenwood and Rockwood Park. Uh, you know, we would always hang out, drink together and shit like that. And for you, John, what was, you know, when, what was he like? What was Vinny like back in the day? And um, 
quiet. Yeah, Vinny was, you know, one thing I got to say about Vinny, all, and, you know, you really weren't stupid, because all you guys that stayed with you guys in Lindenwood with Johnny Massa, who at the beginning, I, I didn't really didn't care either way for Johnny. Later on, I liked him a lot. And, yep. you know, as young kids, I didn't care, you know, because you're jealous of each other, whatever, nonsense stuff. But as we got older, you guys were very athletic. So it was easy for you to fall in with that whole crew. And that crew of guys uh, weren't shooters and killers and everything. Oh. You guys were gamblers, nice guys. I, and, yeah, and then later on over the years, I really liked Johnny Bass. And uh, I respected him. I thought he was a, a smart businessman earner. He raised his son well. So uh, I think that you guys were so athletic. And uh, so you, it was easy to fall in and hang out. I think on our side, uh, we were going in a different direction with the, uh, you know, especially me, I guess, with the shooting and the killing it. But uh, we had, I liked you guys, actually. I liked you guys a lot more than the guys I stayed with, put it that way. I really did. Yeah. I thought you guys were, because you were more my type of guy, because you guys were athletic. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing about John and Greg. We bring up that subject. You know, they are probably two of the toughest kids, guys, the gentlemen now, that I ever hung around with when I was younger. I mean, John and Greg Massa would never back down to a fight from no one, no matter what it was. I mean, I'd see guys, I'd seen guys come after John with guns. He didn't back down. Greg, the same thing. They're two of the toughest guys I've ever been around. Jimmy Santangelo was another kid. He wouldn't back down from a fight for anybody. Well, you guys were all strong. Every one of you was strong, and you guys fought with your hands, I got to say. that There's the difference also in Lee Gold was a tough kid, strong kid. Oh, yeah. All you guys were strong. And, and you know, when we talk about, you know, it was always that neighborhood rivalry back and forth. We'd gamble with each, you know, each other and all that. But as we got older, and you guys got older, everybody's going separate ways. I stayed tight with Johnny. And, yeah. uh, you know, me and Johnny Mays would go out all the time and go eat and go drink or whatever. And, you know, I always had, especially as we got old, I respect him because he was such a smart guy with money. And he knew how he to. Was. And, he was. And, and, and he was, he was as sharp as they can be. Yeah, he was. And then he, and, and he really, I got to tell you, and I talk a bit because the show is about kids. And I got to respect him because he really did a good job with his son. His son's a gentleman. He's a nice kid. He's a funny kid. And yeah. he's got a good person. A lot of John's personality came into his son. So, you know, when we're talking about this show, we're talking about kids and, and uh, you know, breaking the habit of what we did. And he did a pretty good job with that with his son. And you yeah. guys, really. Well, you know, the, the bottom line is this. Like I said, you know, it, even though we were into sports at a young age and, and we always we – we, 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 we always played Rockwood Park and football. I mean, we used to beat the shit out of them. They were horrible. I mean, whether it be John Jr., Stephen Kaplan, Frankie Radici. I mean, we used to put these guys on their fucking ass. <laughs> I mean, there's this one kid, Nicky Carbonero. I don't know if anybody knows him. He was playing Nicky, yeah. quarterback for him uh, for them one day. We were playing at John Adams Field. This kid must have got sacked about 12 times in the first half. I think it was like 66 to nothing before we actually called the game. Yeah. That's how bad they were. But I mean, as a younger guy, then you guys, I mean, listen, we were all street guys, but you guys, you, you turned the corner later on in life and you got involved in more serious mob correct. stuff. Correct. And, and, and that's where the change of your life was. I don't think your, your problem was back with those guys. I mean, those guys were put in a spot. Uh, you read the 302s, I think, oh, God, he put them all at a spot. And Absolutely. Try to blame them, uh, John and, and uh, Greg for a murder of a kid, which they never did. I, you know, I, I did a lot of talk and sticking up for these guys that uh, yeah, they I never the, did I know that. the whole story about that situation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I know the truth and I know exactly what happened because I was with people right after they left that incident. So, you know, they can say what they want on that end, but I know exactly what happened with, with that whole night. 
Well, and so you know John and Greg were in it, and we all know that. Exactly. Yeah, John, and and Greg, John and Greg were fighting, yeah, but John and Greg did not kill the kids. <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, They did not. And, and I think the, the mistake later on in your life was going in the direction with the Bonanno guys. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, around 1998 is when I got basically hooked up with Ronnie. Um, you know, we knew some, uh, he knew some uh, guys that had some boiler room operations, you know, pump and dump operations. Uh, I was still working for my brother's company at the time. And, uh, you know, things started to sour with that group of people that I was working with uh, because, you know, the people I was around at the time, you know, they didn't want us, you know, mingling around with, you know, you know with made guys and what have you. So I ended up leaving them in 1999 and I started working for a friend of mine at the time, my friend Craig and my friend Rob. Uh, two gentlemen, got nothing bad to say about either one of them. Um, and that's when Ronnie started earning off of us. You know, most people don't understand the stock market, like what we ran and what we did. Uh, we did operations that were like, um, you know, you buy, a, you buy a stock, it's called a house stock. We own the, we own the stock, okay? We own it at pennies. We drive it up with our, 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 our uh, buyers. People are buying, the, our clients are buying the stock. So we're driving up the price. So we get it up to six, $7 a share and we start dumping it off. We own it at a penny. So we're making a fortune off of these deals. So, you know, that's what I started getting involved with in 1999 through 2004. And uh, I made a shitload of money doing that. Vinny, can I ask you one thing? Because uh, me and you have a common enemy, should I say. Um, basically, a lot of people don't know that you made Ronnie all his millions. I had told people that they didn't know that. Now, you pretty much put him on the map because he was broke before that. So you yeah. pretty much made him all his money. Now, when you made him all this money and he started loan shocking it out, which a lot of people were just blowing their money, he was just yeah. putting you on the street. That's the only thing I can say he did smart. Because yeah, no, he, he was smart with that. He was very smart with that. Um, you know, yeah, Ronnie was, he, I'll be honest with you, you know, 99, he was on the heels of his ass. Right. His, sister, his sister was living in his basement, you know, paying part of his mortgage uh, on his house on uh, 80th Street. Um, you know, once he started earning with us, you know, he basically, you know, she had to move. He renovated everything downstairs with, you know, the money he was making to us, you know, 20, maybe 40,000 a month to start off with on a small scale. Um, you know, that's on top of whatever else he was making from, you know, uh, my friend Craig's side, because they were hitting him off as well. So you figure about 50,000 a month on average that he was making through, through those deals. Right. Um, and it went higher than that. I know he believed he told Well, yeah, me. a few years later, he started making a lot more money. Um, right. You know, around 2002, 2003, we opened up our own company out in Long Island. So it was just me, him, and uh, my brother involved in owning the company. He was never there. You know, I used to run it pretty much. Um, we had a group of good brokers there. But, you know, in the course of Six months, I know I handed him almost $500,000 in cash. And over the course of a year, I handed him probably about $1.2 million in cash. And he so what does he do at that point in time? He won't get takes, that, yeah. takes that money, puts it on the street, starts earning like a, like a maniac. And, you know, basically that was the, uh, the seed to his huge uh, loan shocking business. Three million. Three million in the street. Yeah. I collected it all. <laughs> Three million in the street. Yeah. Now, now we're just going to take, Vinny, we're just going to take a quick break because we want to talk about 
one of our sponsors of the show. Support for the Johnny and Gene Show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is best in men's below-the-belt grooming. The beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Gentlemen, we got any... Uh, favorite manscaping stories or things to tell the world about manscaping? We can start a new one. There's a girl in the audience asking if she wants to work. I, <laughs> it's a friend of mine. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Manscaped has forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, which is waterproof and has a cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formations to round out your manscaping routine. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave as well. This third generation trimmer features skin safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. You can also adjust settings to get a length that you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. Be sure to use their crop cleanser to keep your hair and skin healthy as well. It's an all-in-one formula, so it's as good and healthy for your chest hair as it is for your skin. Inside the perfect package, you will also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver and Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant and Moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. Go to manscaped.com and use promo code JG and you'll receive 20% off and free shipping. Go to manscaped.com, use that promo code JG and you'll receive 20% off and free shipping. And also, for all listeners of this podcast and people that are loyal fans of the Johnny and Gene Show, soon we're going to be doing an episode where we have uh, you, uh, our fans, asking John and Gene any questions that you'd like. But we are offering that if you purchase something at manscaped.com and use that code JG. We will, you must send us a screenshot to our Instagram at the Johnny and Jean show, and we will filter it and make sure that your question and your name gets asked to these two guys over here. Again, use that code JG at manscaped.com, 20% off and free shipping. Send us a screenshot of your order and we'll get your question as long as it's a good question. Uh, it's actually a great product. And it is yeah. a great product. It's a great product, and, and really after the beach, you said something because I use the product after the beach, and it really does for chafing everything. It's it's actually good because for guys, it's one thing the bathing suit after you go to the beach. Really, it, it, you know when you're in the sun that long and the skin dries out, it's it, it really is a good product to try. Vinny, you got any uh, manscaping <laughs> stories for us too? No, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Vinny, I wanted to get into something with you because um obviously sure. we. Uh, we worked for the same guy and we both did everything for him. We basically, you made him rich. I did all his dirty work. You know, we could go on for days what we did. But I want you to explain. It's not like we're attacking anyone. We're just basically explaining how they are and how people are in their life. How you did everything for him and he turned on you just like you meant yeah, nothing. Yeah, you know, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to come on and do the show. Because, you know, all of his people around him, whether it be his sister, his brothers, you know, whoever's related to him, they're going to tell their side of the story, which 99.9% .9 is bullshit. Okay. My side of the story, it's not perfect. And I'll tell you that point blank. But, you know, it's, it's always good to hear two sides of the story because, you know, they're always going to defend him. And, you know, a, a lot of things they don't even know about went on between me and him, uh, you know, it infuriates me because the bottom line is this. I know I was responsible for a lot of it, you know, uh, and, and it just, uh, you know, it was one of the main reasons that made my decision so easy to cooperate when I did, you know, because John, you know, John always says it perfectly. Uh, and I heard him say it a few times, you know, you're as good as your last dollar. 
and you ain't earning these people money anymore, they'll throw you to the fucking curb quicker than they would a cat or a dog. Plain and simple. Now, and it's a shame. Now, for you in your in your life post uh, post this life, um, you know, I mean, we've gone into to a lot with the, with these two over here about. Uh, reintegrating to society and you know finding normalcy in, in some ways and rekindling relationships with family and and lost friends how has that you know experience been like post uh you know since your time in that life and and just kind of making sure that things are normal with you know the people around you yeah i mean it was rough initially i ain't gonna lie to you i mean the biggest thing was my kids being taken away from their friends uh you know i didn't go into witness protection or anything like that i did move yeah uh, my kids were the hardest thing, you know, my, my, my oldest daughter now, um, uh, she, she was the toughest to deal with, you know, that's what broke my heart, taken away from the kids that she grew up her whole life. But, you know, as, as time went on, you know, she acclimated and she made a lot of new friends and, you know, friends that are not around the mafia right now, you know, people that are not around the life. And, you know, I'm so, I'm actually so happy that she's around these type of people. I mean, you know, uh, the people she hangs out with right now are, you know, complete opposites of what she was used to hanging out with on family trips up to uh, dude ranches, going to the Atlantis and the Bahamas and things like that. She was always around, you know, mob guys. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been tough, you know, along the way, um, you know, I lost my oldest daughter back in 2015. Uh, you know, she suffered from a lot of medical issues from the time she was born and, uh, you know, um, that would that was probably the the most toughest time in my life no matter what i mean no parent should have to bury their child it should be the opposite way around um you know she suffered for four months prior to her passing away in november of 15 and uh you know i had i had to actually pull the uh life support system the day where the doctors told me you know there's no hope for her and you know it, it was the hardest decision i ever made in my life and uh you know, it, it took me, well, to this day, I still am not over it, uh, and I'll never be over it. But uh, that was the hardest thing I had to deal with. And then on top of that, se seven months later, I lose my mother to a massive heart attack. So, you know, that seven-month period of time between 15, uh, uh, November of 2015 and June of 16, you know, I lose two immediate members of my family, um, most importantly, my daughter and my mom, secondly. And that was really rough on me. Amen. So, you know, I, I want to go back to, because I know you since you're a kid, and the people that uh, are watching this, uh, you painted a hard picture about yourself, called yourself an idiot, and this and that. I know, I'm going to go back to what I said. You guys were nice guys. You just didn't go down the path of where I did. You know, my brother was a stockbroker. He was J.P. Moran, which yeah, I remember. Guys made big money. Uh, and, you know, listen, we're from the street. Everybody hustled. At least you guys hustled a certain way, and you always were a nice guy. So guys that don't know you, uh, I know you, you didn't go into the, the, the way I went. And, uh, and the reason why I brought up that Silver Fox incident for people that don't know, that's an open standing uh, murder. There's no statue. So I spoke to a lot of uh, different agencies came to see me uh, thinking the Massa brothers had that, were involved in that murder. Yeah. I clarified that although I wasn't there, all my friends were there and the Massa's had nothing to do with that murder. So, you know, I wanted to clarify that because of uh, what Gotti pointed the finger like he did with me, he pointed at you guys, especially the masses. Yeah. And, you know, and I want to say, you guys weren't about that. None of you. You guys were just nice guys that did hustle and you got yourself entangled with Gene and his guys. But yeah. uh, 
uh, you had a hard life, and I'm sorry to hear about your daughter and you know your, your mom. And uh, I mean, we all guy. we all go through it. I mean, with our parents, you know. Uh, but you know, nobody wants to bury their child. Nobody. So. No, but you're a guy that you know what. That's something I can obviously I'll never know only you know. But you're a guy that uh, I respect, and I want guys out there to understand the difference between guys what we were doing and what were you were doing. You you weren't uh, all that bad of a guy, like you know. Well, so. I'll be honest with you, John. I mean, you know, throughout my time hanging out with Ronnie and you know the Mike Palmacios, the Mike Patamones, and all of those guys, uh, you know. I gave my, I gave the shirt off my back for this guy. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, it, it, it basically gets to the point, you know, our families were going on vacations together three, four times a year. You know, that's how close we were. You know, our kids always were hanging out together. Um, you know, even with his cousins, Jack and Jerry, who I really don't have a bad word to say about because they never did anything wrong to me. Neither nice one. Guys. <laughs> nice they, guys. They never did anything wrong to me. I mean, Ronnie, Ronnie, if anything, he fucked over his cousins on numerous occasions. And I, I think I told you the story, Gene. You know, I was there on an occasion when, uh, you know, Jerry had asked Ronnie for $50,000 to finish his pool on the house that he had just gotten out in Long Island. And I was standing in front of Ronnie's house one night with his sister, Judy, and, and him. And, and the sister saying, don't lend him that money. He'll never get it back. And he didn't give it to him. And that's another thing. You know, Ronnie talks about, you know, being a fucking man, stand-up guy. You know, for years, he would approach me and tell me, he says, do not tell my cousin Jerry anything about the stock market and what I'm doing with you. So, you know. But he any found out. Mike Palmacio dined him out on a visit. He found out. And he flipped out. Yep. <laughs> and Ronnie was making big, big money. Big right. money. Um, you know, there'd be, there'd be occasions, you know, I'll tell you an incident that happened. Um, this group of brokers was working for us back in 2001. Um, they were doing really well for us, right? They worked under me. Um, so they were doing so well, we gave them a $30,000 cash bonus, right? So we hand them the 30,000. A week later, they take, they pick up and they leave and they go start their own company. So that shit's not going to fly. Uh, on top of that, they started taking their clients that they had opened up at our company along with them, which is a no-no on Wall Street. You don't do that. If you open up a client at that company you're working at, it stays there. So they decided they were going to go open up their own company, and uh, that didn't fly. So we went to go see these kids on two different occasions. The first time I went with my friend Craig, they weren't in the office. The second time, Ronnie and... Uh, I think it was Mike Palmacio went there and they actually caught the kids there. They gave them a beating. I mean, Mike phone, phone Mike Pal I'll give Mike, Mike Palmacio that Mike beat him with the phone. I think it's the one that Mike hit him with the phone. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Phone yeah I'll give him that. He did that. Ronnie Probably didn't do nothing. Well. He sat in the car. Right. I know that story. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So uh, one of the kids, John, uh, that took the money, he called me a day later. He says, listen, I got the cash together that they asked me for. I got to meet you in Brooklyn. So prior to that meeting, I had a meeting with Craig and he goes, listen, get that money. You and I are going to whack it up when you get it back from me. So I go meet the kid um, right by Ario's in Brooklyn. And uh, I'm with uh, Ronnie and Mike Palmacio in the car. So they wait in the car. I go down the block. I, I, I'm talking to the kid. Obviously, at the time, he was wired up. Uh, so that was one of my extortion charges that I got. Um, so I get back in the car. Ronnie goes, where's the bag? I says, in my pocket. So I pull it out. And he goes, let me, let me count it. So he counts it, you know. We go eat at Ario's after that. And we had to meet Craig Lesh, uh, my friend Craig, that night. So we go meet him at 232 Park uh, in Howard Beach. So we meet him. And uh, 
Ronnie just tells Craig, he says, listen, I'm going to keep that money. <laughs> just, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, you know, at least whack it up three ways, you know, 10000 a piece. You know, I'm the one that went to get it. Craig's the one that gave it to the kids. And, you know, Ronnie went there with, with Mike and, you know, but, you know, he just kept it all. And that's the type of person he was. Right. Everything is mine, mine, mine. Vinny, we need to, unfortunately, we, we'd love to talk to you for, for as long as possible. I know there's a lot more stories, but uh, we need to, we'll have him back on. We'll a, a, back on. Of course, always. Oh, so thank, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. Um, it was a pleasure for me to get to know you and for these guys, I'm sure, to, to see you once again. It's good to see you again. We'll see you in the studio, you buddy. I'll talk to you, you soon, all right? All right. It was yeah. good seeing you again, Vinny. Thank, thank you. Gene, I'll talk to you, buddy. Yeah. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.